This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Well, if Jeff Bezos can go to space, so can we. It's episode 377 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and if you haven't watched Settlers yet from IFC Films, it's, it's on demand and it's in theaters. Right now, I'm going to be talking to director Wyatt Russell this week about this free. It's kind of like an art house sci-fi type movie about a Martian settlement and, and, and earth settlers. It's very, very interesting. Going to dig into that with him. Also a couple of big reviews that I need to talk about this week. Masters of the universe revelation is out. I can't wait to give my review of that. We've got a new movie on Amazon called jolt. I'll talk about that as well. Plus some kind of the pre comic con at home news has been the best news so far. There's some Batgirl movie news, a ton of great trailers, saving all the comic con stuff for next week, comic con at home stuff. So you're looking for that that is when that is going to be and you know i just a little personal note here my wife and i had our beautiful baby girl just a couple of days ago her name is oriana very excited so she's the reason that you know the show might be a little bit abbreviated this week but it's still going to get you a ton of stuff a ton of great news and a ton of great nerdy talk this week before the baby cries i promise so let's start things off with director wyatt rockefeller of settlers next on the down and nerdy podcast Hi, this is David Hale from Superdog. Hi, you're listening to the Down and Want to get away? Well, you might not want to consider a secluded Martian settlement, and the movie Settlers might tell you just that when you see it either in theaters 
or on video on demand from IFC Films. I got a chance to sit down with director Wyatt Rockefeller to talk about his vision for the movie, his amazing stars, and so much more. So here's my conversation with director Wyatt Rockefeller of Settlers. So it's really cool because you've done several short films, you've done some documentaries and things like that, but Settlers is actually your first full-length feature film. Now, I know the film's actually broken up into three parts or chapters. What made you realize that this had to be a feature film, a full-length feature? So it was actually the decision to set it on Mars. I had originally had the idea for the plot about a year beforehand and was working on something else at the time. But it was when I, because I was trying to think of a place that they just couldn't leave, which is so important to the plot, because that's what forces them to consider these choices that they wouldn't in a million years otherwise. And when I had the thought, what if it was, what if they were set on the, you know, the outskirts of, of uh, changing Mars, Mars as it might be one day as we're in the process of, of making it habitable. And that immediately unlocked not only a lot of visual potential, for example, like the blue sunsets, which are mentioned in the movie, which Mm -hmm. the sunsets on Mars currently are blue. Google, you know, blue sunsets, Mars, and you'll see images from the Mars rovers but also thematically, you know, gave him the opportunity to engage with this whole backstory of environmental collapse on Earth and mass displacement of people. And, and you know, these folks are effectively refugees uh, just trying to survive. And, and suddenly it felt like, OK, this this is actually bigger than a short. This this is a feature and this would be worth, you know, an hour and a half of people's time. Yeah, there's certainly no doubt about that. One thing I really love that you did, actually, was because normally stories dealing with anything Martian or other planets focuses heavily on the environment. And while I feel like there is some of that, I feel like Settlers is a real character-driven story. So why was it important for you to kind of try and break away from the typical sci-fi story? I wasn't intentionally trying to break away from anything. For me, the interest in this story started with the characters. I Again, it's for, it, for me, it's what's worth people's time and what was worth a few years of my my life was people confronting these a reality in which they they have to consider the impossible and just in order to survive or to protect their loved ones and I, I want people to come out of this wondering what would I have done in that situation and so the the setting what well I do think is very important to it. It is all in support of, of the dynamics that are going on between the characters and, and as I was writing, you know, the sweep of human history would change on a dime in order to suit the dynamics that were going on. And that, that was really, that was really fun. And I, uh, again, the research was, you know, looking into the science of how we would theoretically colonize and terraform Mars. I try my best to really adhere to what is at least plausible. That, I mean, I, I do think the setting was just something that then elevated it and allowed it to what was going on on set or on, you know, on the homestead to reverberate beyond just the walls. There's definitely definitely some great authenticity there for sure. Right, let's talk about some of those characters for a second, because I feel like there's a lot of different ways that you could describe Remy. And I think a lot of viewers will see, will see her in different ways as well. I'm curious to how you would describe her. I would describe her as a quite headstrong and determined young woman uh, and old girl and then growing into a young woman. I mean, I think from the beginning, she is... You can see that she's adventurous. She she is chafing against the boundaries that her parents have imposed upon her, and yet is also quite dependent upon them. And and really, this story I see this as a coming of age story. It is about uh, this girl who has to find her own 
independent, you know, just and really assert her own independence as the pillars of that she she's dependent upon fall away. Certainly. And speaking of which, no spoilers for me, but I feel like Nell Tigerfree's performance was particularly incredible given what her role in the story was and when it actually occurred. So how did you work? How did you all work together to kind of so brilliantly capture the character and raw emotion of that time? Well, I think Nell, and actually similar to Brooklyn, is capable of really putting herself in the reality of the scene. You know that she's 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 not acting; she she is living living the moment, which is a tall order considering what she has to go through. And yeah, I mean, it took a toll. That it was hard. It was hard to shoot for everyone, but especially her. And, what can I say? She, I, I, actors are an amazing thing to me. I, I have incredible respect for them. I don't really fully understand how they do it and how they are able to just get into that headspace and convince themselves of what they're experiencing. But they're amazing. Yeah, I, I second that. So no offense to Ismael Cruz Cordova, but I pretty much hated Jerry throughout <laughs> the entire film. I mean, how important it was for you to highlight that and i mean do you cons- would do you think he you he's considered a villain do you think he thinks he's a villain what do you say i would say he absolutely would not think of himself as a villain i think he recognizes as he acknowledges you know you keep making me do these terrible things but they're the ones making him do the terrible things in his mind right i think he's someone who's capable of convincing himself of any of anything and i feel like we all are to a certain extent for me the villain of the movie is not so much jerry it's their isolation you know it's what makes them have to do these terrible things as as he puts it and you know i as a reference i don't know if you've ever seen fanny alexander it's an old bergman film but there's a um the the bad guy in that is basically the the stepfather who's this priest who kind of psychologically tortures these kids and and i hated him so much when i saw this movie because he was convinced of his own righteousness that what he was doing was correct even as it was so obviously wrong. And that, I feel like that's the real unpardonable sin of of any character on screen is when they're just total hypocrites. Absolutely, man. Now, I feel like Isla's in a tough spot in this, in this pretty much throughout the film, actually. How important was it for you to highlight all those things she's trying to balance and how it just continuously affects her character over time? On Ilsa. Yeah, Ilsa, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Ilsa's, she's a tough one, right? Because she's she's a bit of an enigma because we're looking at her through Remy's eyes, through her daughter's eyes. In some ways, only really discover what's going through her head after the fact. I think uh, Sophia, we asked a lot of her and I think she was able to completely de- deliver that. And you can feel the, inten- the intensity of, of how much she wants to protect her daughter. And that is, I think, the key to her to her decisions. At the same time, I don't think we fully understand what's going through her head until after, until much later in the movie, when Remy, when she's older, is put in a similar position to what Ilsa, you know, to, to what her mother was put in, and only then realizes, oh, that's what she was dealing with. That's what was going through her head. That's how she felt. Really quickly, Wyatt, before I let you go, no spoilers, but uh, could we see more maybe in the future? Yeah, so I do. I do have the the you know the the contours of of a longer story where where she goes next. So it would be great to be able to explore further with her. Ooh, well, before you get into those contours, you have to get into the first story first. So Settlers premieres Friday, July the twenty third in theaters and on demand. It's director Wyatt Rockefeller. Thank you so much for joining me, man. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. And when you see some of the amazing performances and what some of these characters have to go through, 
in this movie. Again, it's going to be one of those things that makes you think, like, would I do this? How would I have reacted in this situation? And I'm just curious to see how you feel about if you feel the same way about some of these characters that I did. And again, this is not, I don't think, your typical sci-fi movie. If you're looking for something a little bit different, I think Settlers is that. So make sure you're watching it in theaters or on demand right now. Again, thanks to Wyatt Rockefeller for joining me to talk about Settlers this week. Up next, oh, it's time for my review. I know you've been waiting for it. I'll talk about Masters of the Universe Revelation from Netflix and give you some little nuggets from the press conference that I attended Well, as well. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Griffin Newman from The Tick, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The power returns, and the power is here. Masters of the Universe Revelation has finally arrived on Netflix, at least the first part. Anyway, the first five episodes, so excited now to give you my spoiler-free review and share some notes from a group of roundtables that I was with, with with Kevin Smith and Sarah Michelle Gellar, Tiffany Smith, Chris Wood, and Tony Todd. Unfortunately, I can't share the audio with you, but I'm going to share some tidbits of some things that they had to say about the show. But I also want to mix that in to my review here because you know how excited I've been about this. I've been, I haven't been able to shut up about it since we really started to dive in and get first looks and trailers, things like that. And as a lifelong He-Man fan, is this the thing that I've been waiting for is the big question for me. And it really is. Now, is this a sequel to the original story as so many people have talked about? In my opinion, not a sequel. Kind of more of a continuation than a sequel. And if you saw Mark Mark Hamill on The Tonight Show, he kind of said... The same thing. So you can actually watch this without having seen a single second of the original animated series and still appreciate it. You, you'd still want to be a He-Man fan, right? I still actually think this could make you a Masters of the Universe fan, but you wouldn't necessarily have to have watched the original series in order to be able to pick up on this story and understand where it's going. Now, I will say the stakes are much higher in this than in previous iterations of He-Man and Masters of the Universe in general, because, you know, you you talk about like how in the original cartoon, you know, He-Man had his sword, but he didn't really use it against Skeletor or anyone else for that matter, right? Well, let me say that there's a lot of high stakes in this series, and it was almost like for me, I, I liken it to when I was when I was younger, and as a Transformers fan, when you watch Transformers, the, the, the animated movie, the very first one that they had, and how all of a sudden, you know, things were much different than the original animated series that you watched as a kid. And it, and it brought out this raw emotion in you and, and the stakes were suddenly way, way higher and you didn't understand how stuff like this could happen. That's how I feel about Masters of the Universe Revelation. Even as an adult, I had that visceral reaction to it when I saw what was going on with some of these characters. So the stakes definitely raised in Masters of the Universe Revelation, no doubt about that. And not to mention, it's gorgeous because it's powerhouse animation studios, and all they know how to do is make stunning, visually appealing animated series, and especially for something like this for Masters of the Universe. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better animation house to be working on this series, no doubt about that. But as I get into the story here, I will tell you this much. This is very much, this first part anyway, it's, I, I won't say it's not He-Man's story, because it certainly is. It's very much Tila's story 
No question about it. This is a very Tila heavy story. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, when I was talking to Sarah Michelle Geller and Tiffany Smith during these roundtables, I asked them about the relationship between Tila and Andra, who is kind of a deep cut character. But Kevin Smith expands Andra's role and voiced by Tiffany Smith in this. And Sarah actually said that, you know, one of the things that makes their relationship so great is that, quote, she has to explain to Andra what her relationships really are with these people, mainly the characters in Masters of the Universe, then in turn figure out how she really feels about them. Having another woman behind you and supporting you is the ultimate. And that is really at the core of Masters of the Universe. Something, the, the, the realizations that Tila has about people that she's known for years and, and basically family, right? And where Tila is at in her life when this series starts as opposed to where it goes in the very next episode in from episode one to episode two, you get to see Tila at a very crossroads point in her life. And that's kind of where the journey begins for this whole thing. And that's one of the things that Tiffany was saying when, when I talked to her, she said, we're getting to see Tila at a different phase in her life. They rely on each other, meaning Andra and Tila. She looks up to all those stories that she heard, again, about Tila. They figure out who they want to be and where they want to go because of their friendship. And that is very much a part of this. And I will say that that's why it's also He-Man's story as well, because so much of what Tila is going through is tied directly to He-Man and Prince Adam. So that is, while you don't necessarily see He-Man a ton in these first five episodes, he is very much a part of where this, and you'll see flashbacks too, by the way, in these episodes, and and a lot of that deals with with He-Man and Tila's relationship. There's a reason why this thing is starting out the way it is, in my opinion, okay? And I don't want you to be turned off by this because you're like, well, if He-Man's not a heavy presence in every episode, then I'm not watching this. You've destroyed my childhood. No, 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 no. If you pass this up because of that, then you're a fool. Because this was this story and how it starts out has a very meaningful place in Masters of the Universe lore. I will tell you that right now. And, and that's because I've seen the first five episodes, and I kind of get a sense of where this is going, especially that final moment, or the final moments, I should say, of that fifth episode will make you go, oh, shit, well, that's interesting, and how is that going to work, and where are we going to go from here in a good way? So I will just say that, again, just don't pass this up because it doesn't feel He-Man heavy in the beginning. As far as if you're a fan and just love seeing a bunch of different characters, you get a ton of characters. Do you get them all? No, but you've seen Mossman in the trailer. You've seen you've seen Merman in the trailer. You've seen Triclops in the trailer, right? You've seen a lot of these different characters. You see Scareglow, and then Scareglow was was only ever a toy. We finally get a meaningful Scareglow moment in on screen for Masters of the Universe Revelation. As a matter of fact, for my money. He's got the coolest action scene in the whole first five episodes. Quite frankly, I'm not even kidding about that. I actually asked Tony Todd about that because he voiced 
Scareglow. And he said, quote, wow, that is jaw dropping when he finally got to see it for the first time in post-production. And, you know, he says he's a kid at heart and he says, would I want to have this toy? Yes, I do. And even Kevin Smith admitted during these interviews that, you know, this is very much Mattel wants to sell toys. And this new Masters of the Universe figure line that's coming out is also gorgeous as well. And can you blame Mattel for wanting to sell the toys? And I want a lot of these toys. I want as many of these as possible, actually. But you get to see plenty of characters that you've loved from He-Man over the years in Masters of the Universe. So if, and, and everybody has a little bit of a moment in this. Some more than others, but everybody has a little bit of a moment. But there are some characters that, we, that we've yet to see that I hope we see in the next several episodes. But I have to say, as somebody who always loved Orko, not sure why, but always loved Orko, what Kevin Smith does with Orko in this series is incredible for me. And, and you want to talk about a character finally getting their due. I feel like Orko finally gets his due in Masters of the Universe Revelation. Some very big Orko moments in this. So if you're a fan of that character like I am, you will not leave disappointment disappointed. And as a matter of fact, another one I want to point out is Lena Headey's Evil Lynn. What she does with this character of Evil Lynn and Evil Lynn's story in these first five episodes, again, some of the most interesting storytelling in Masters of the Universe is what happens with Evil Lynn in this story. I'm telling you right now, not only is it unexpected, but it adds such a different look at this character and who she is at her core. And it's just, it's one of those things, I, I, I think this should be one of the main points of discussion on social media about this series is what happens with Evil Lynn. Because, man, it was something that I was so locked into throughout these episodes. Another thing is something that you find out about Castle Grayskull right away in the first episode. That is another thing that I should be, I think should be a huge topic of conversation. Maybe a little bit of a controversial topic of conversation, but we'll have to see where that goes once fans actually get a chance to see this. And of course, I'm recording this on the day that the show comes out, or the day before the show comes out, I should say. So I haven't had a chance to see the fan reaction yet, but I'm very interested to see what the fan reaction is going to be, especially to this first episode, because I think the first episode is going to create the most chatter. But to me, there are moments in that first episode that I focused on more than others, and I'm curious to see how fans focus on this as well. And then there's Skeletor, and that's one of the things I wanted to ask Kevin Smith about, because, you know, you get Mark Hamill to play Skeletor, right? And apparently Kevin didn't have to be, they went to Kevin and said, can you, could you, get, can you get him? And Kevin's like, I didn't have to get him because Mark was already into it. He, you know, he told the story about how Mark was calling around years ago trying to get Castle Grayskull for his kids for Christmas. So he was calling everyone he could to try to get in contact with Mattel to get one of these things. And this is like peak Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill trying to get one of these things. So he, he's been a fan of the show from the very beginning along with, he enjoyed it with his kids, but he also talked about how everyone had a deep love for this franchise, especially Mark. And by the way, Kevin says that Mark's all over parts, part two, episode six through 10. He said, quote, it's the Mark Hamill show. He chews the scenery. And if you know Kevin Smith, that is high praise and, and just what you can expect coming up in part two. 
but he also talked about how so many of the cast had such a personal connection to this franchise of Masters of the Universe. He said, quote, made the door all doors fly wide open. Everybody in this wanted to be in this, wanted to do this. When, when I was talking to Chris Wood, you saw the Masters of the Universe figures behind him when I was talking to him. He had a Castle Grayskull next to him as well. And you could just see it in the eyes of this cast when I was talking to them. Everybody had such a deep love for this franchise and wanted to do justice by these characters that that to me is the core of what makes these episodes work not just the stunning animation from powerhouse not the not just the fact that kevin smith clearly has a deep love for this franchise as well everybody wanted to do their absolute best and bring the best story that they could for masters of the universe with Masters of the Universe Revelation on Netflix, and I think that they absolutely accomplished that. Make sure you are watching it. Let's discuss it. You know, tweet me, at Down and Nerdy 757 You want to talk about this show? Let's talk about it, because I've got some thoughts that we could share. We can even share some spoilers on social media. I just don't want to do it here for anybody that hasn't had a chance to dive in yet. But go into this with an open mind. You will like it if you give it a chance. Don't, don't, listen to the you killed my childhood crowd okay that's ridiculous you will enjoy this series and you will like the fact that they're taking some characters and directions that you might not expect because let me tell you there's a lot of big surprises in masters of the universe revelation that i really think you're gonna dig that's gonna do it for my spoiler free review of masters of the universe revelation part one and again thanks to netflix for letting me be a part of the roundtables with the cast and Kevin Smith as well. Up next, a pretty interesting new movie just hit Amazon Prime Video. We'll talk about Jolt starring Kate Beckinsale next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Martin Garrow, creator and executive producer of Blindspot, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This one might shock you. It's time for my spoiler-free review of Jolt, which is a brand new movie on Amazon Prime Video, which is now streaming, like I said, spoiler free. And basically this centers around a character named Lindy and she's got this very unique anger management problem. Think of it as uncontrollable rage. The only thing that actually controlled it controls it is this vest that she wears that kind of is lined with these electrodes and she shocks herself. And that's what kind of helps, you know, kind of bring her down from it. And the gist of what happens here is she hasn't been in a relationship for a while because obviously she feels like she can't. And then she finally falls for a guy and he gets murdered and the revenge game is on. Now I will say this 
Kate, this is the Kate Beckinsale show. No doubt about that. Now, I say show. This is a movie. But this is, if you love Kate Beckinsale and you love a character with absolutely just no filter, just dripping with badassery, then this is for you. Absolutely. You will love this Lindy character. It's one of the more fun characters I think that Kate Beckinsale has played in her career. You'll definitely get a lot of great action vibes from this. And one thing that Tanya Wexler, who is the director of this, seemed like she decided to do in this movie was say, you know what? Screw it. Let's have some fun. Let's punch people. Let's kick people. Let's have let's just have a good time in this revenge filled action drama. You, there's some twisty stuff in there as well. This was an unapologetic. Let's just make a fun action movie type of thing. Is all of the dialogue great? No. Are all of the characters great and meaningful? Absolutely not. The villain, as a matter of fact, is one of the twists in this whole movie, which I think is very, very interesting. But when you look at one of who, who the main villain is, or I should say maybe the object of Lindy's revenge, it's one of those mastermind type deals where you're not sure how much of a threat this person really is. And actually, one of the things that I found interesting about this movie, I, I say that is you kind of wonder who the villain really is as you're going, because there are certain people that you seem like, well, is this person helping Lindy or are they really pulling the strings for someone else or are they are their intentions not quite what you think they are sort of thing? It's just it's very interesting how that whole thing plays out. At least that's how I felt about it. Anyway, and Stanley Tucci, by the way, one of the unsung stars, I think, of this movie, he plays Dr. Munchen, and he's kind of like, you know, the one that Lindy has to go to for help quite a bit. And just the dynamic between the two of them, between Lindy and the doctor, is is really, really fun for me. And this is such a Stanley Tucci role and performance, and you'll understand that when you actually see it. But there there was some stuff that I also wasn't quite sure about in the movie, like the, the Detective Victor, Victor's character played by Bobby Cannavale. I feel like that was kind of forced in there. You had to have a police presence in this for obvious reasons and what was going on. But I just feel like, I'm, I don't know, is more bumbling than anything else. And that didn't seem to fit in with the vibe of the rest of the story. I loved Jai Courtney's character. Of Justin, I thought that there was a lot of a lot of great things going on with that character. Not going to spoil anything, but that's another one that ended up being surprisingly good for me. But again, I you don't go into this overthinking it, right? This is just what you need to consider as a fun action movie. And some of the stunts in this thing are incredible, and some of the things that Lindy is able to do, I don't want to say with her abilities, because I don't necessarily think I, I would consider it abilities. Think of it more of like adrenaline make, make, making you be able to do impossible things. What Lindy is able to do and how she's constantly underestimated and how she's constantly, you know, looked past or looked down upon or however you want to call it. But then what she's able to do, not just because of this rage, but because of this just crazy confidence that she has is really, really interesting. And this is just a character where if you fall in love with Lindy from the beginning, you're going to love this movie. If it, if she's just not the kind of character for you, 
then you're going to be in for a long hour and a half. I can tell you that right now. So this is, to me, it's a, it's a lover do you hate it type of situation. I loved it for what it was. I will say that. Was this the greatest action movie I've ever seen? Absolutely not. Best stunts? No. Some really great stunts and some very funny moments too, by the way. There's definitely a lot of humor in this thing. Nothing to me reaches best category for this, but at the same time, is this one of those fun, I've got an hour and a half, let me stream something fun and get some good action and a nice little twisty story at the end kind of movies? Absolutely. So if you want to call it a popcorn flick, you can do that. But I mean, I loved Kate Beckinsale in this movie. I loved Lindy. So that's one of the reasons I enjoyed Jolt on Amazon Prime Video, which you can stream right now. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Jolt. Up next, let's dive into some comics, shall we? It's what we're reading. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Robert Venditti, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hard copies or digital copies, whatever you like to read, it's time for what we're reading. And I'm going to start with DC and Superman in the Authority, number one. And one of the reasons I picked this book is just listen to this creative team. It's crazy. Grant Morrison's writing it. Mikhail Jannon is doing the art. Jordi Belair on colors. And Steve Wands on letters. I mean, are you freaking kidding me? I, how can you really go wrong with that team? But what this story is basically around, and maybe a couple minor spoilers as I do this, but nothing major. Superman's kind of running out of powers and he's running out of time. And it's a really interesting beginning part of this book where there's a flashback to the 1960s and a promise that Superman makes has kind of been bugging him years later and into present day. And now he's kind of running out of time to be able to fulfill that promise. And his reasoning for not being able to fulfill that promise, I thought was a really interesting story point in this book. And I'm curious to see how that's going to play out in future issues. But basically what's happening here is he's recruiting several different characters to be able to do his one job. Basically, so he's finding all of these other different uh, people with abilities to be able to do what one Superman can do. Now, this issue actually centers around Manchester Black, which is a character I feel like has been very underutilized in Superman comics in general. I mean, we've seen him a little bit in live action and animation, but in comics, I I would really think that we could have seen more of Manchester Black. And maybe this is the start of this because it's interesting to watch the way that the two of them interact in this book. As a matter of fact, it's also very interesting how Superman keeps him contained and captures him in the first place. It's very not what you'd expect from Superman. Let me just say that. Even more interesting, though, is what Supes is about to face imminently. I mean, literally in his face. That's one thing I will not spoil for you. What he tells Manchester Black is coming is like, okay, so this is happening basically now, and and it's time to make a decision one way or another. So there's definitely a sense of urgency to the story right in the first issue, even though there's still recruiting left to do. So this really does serve as a great introduction to what could be, and I, I emphasize the word could, could be a very interesting story. I like the fact there's a bit of a mood change, from Superman here, it's very obvious and kind of compelling at the same time because you don't know. It's one of those things where you know something's wrong with someone, but you don't really know where they're at. So you want to check on them and make sure they're okay kind of situation. I will say this about the art. 
Mikkel Jannon, and I, I'm sure, and if I'm mispronouncing his name, which I've probably done for years, I apologize for that. But for my money, Mikkel is one of the top three artists in the whole business right now, if not number one. I mean, if you pick up a, one of his books, it's insane to me how great the detail is and just how there's no, absolutely no stroke of either the digital or ink pen that is left un, 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 unimportant. It's just the detail is stunning, whether it be the setting or the character designs. It's absolutely insane how good Mikkel Jannon is. And this story, and I say could because it's still very early on, and we've only met one of the authority so far. It's going to be very interesting to see how the rest of them get recruited and what the ultimate dynamic of that team and what's going to be happening with Superman is going to be going forward. But I will say very, very good start for Superman and the Authority from DC and definitely a book I'm going to have my eye on. This was one of those books that I picked up because, you know what, I just needed something that felt like home for me. And that's Tales from Harrow County. Number one from Dark Horse Comics, Cullen Bunn, still writing this one, of course. Emily Schnall, though, taking over as, as the artist for Harrow County. Tyler Crook still involved, though, doing the letters in this one. And again, maybe some minor spoilers here since the book is already out. But it's very clear, though, if you're a Harrow County fan, you got to be caught up here. It's very clear that Emmy leaving is still weighing on Bernice's mind, even like a decade later. And I mean, why wouldn't it, right? That was a very close friendship. And maybe maybe there was even a little bit more to it than that. But right now, it seems like Bernice, she seems to have a happy life in Harrow County, and she is someone that she can love. But still, something's kind of gnawing at her. And, and, and again, you'd have to maybe have read The Last Tales from Harrow County to be caught up here as well. But she kind of decides it's time to, this is the biggest spoiler I'm going to give you. It's time to bring Priscilla home. That's what Bernice decides. She needs something that she can control, something that she can do, she can accomplish, and that is what she set out to do. Now, her motivation actually may have led her down a really dangerous path. And the most dangerous part about this is she's not alone, and that might not necessarily be a good thing. So it turns out the search for one friend might have led her to an even deeper secret and or mystery, however you want to look at it. And that, to me, and just Bernice's mindset from the start of this issue to where we're at at the end of this first issue, I think is very, very compelling. This is a great fix, though. for If you're missing Harrow County stories like I've been lately, this will scratch that itch for you. Absolutely. The vibe is still there, but the story seems fresh at the same time. So it doesn't feel like it is a continuation but it doesn't feel like you're reading something that you've been reading forever. But it still feels like home for me. It feels like Harrow County, but with a nice, fresh take on it as well. And plus, adding more depth to Bernice's character, if you're a fan, is great. And it really feels like she's starting to take the lead now in, in this story, which I think is really, really cool. As far as Chanel's art goes, I mean, she's able to capture the world perfectly, both honoring it, but at the same time, adding these... Really interesting enhancements to get those details popped up even a little bit more in this story, which I think is really, really cool. So as a big Harrow County fan, bravo, can't wait to read the rest of this one. Tales from Harrow County, Fair Folk, number one from Dark Horse Comics. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Is there some interesting early Comic-Con at home news? We'll find out 
on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, I'm Trey Romano from DC's Stargirl, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time for Barbara to have her turn. It's time for nerd news. And as far as I'm concerned, the big news of the week came from Deadline this week that first reported that Leslie Grace is cast as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl for the upcoming live action movie. Now, you might remember Leslie from In the Heights, another Warner Brothers movie that just came out recently. She was kind of one of the breakout stars of that movie. Apparently, she nailed the audition, and here she is now as Batgirl in a movie that we've been waiting for for, what, like three years? It was last announced, and there's been director changes and things like that, and now it is finally happening, and we know that it's going to be directed by Adil El Arbi and Bilal Fala that are going to be directing this thing. The script's going to be done by Christina Hodson and Kristen Burr announced as a producer. But the big news, I mean, hey, of course, is that Leslie Grace is Batgirl. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know a ton about Leslie Grace's work, but she's just got this charm about her, right? And that's one of the things that you need when you play Barbara Gordon. Plus, I mean, you need the action chops. Right. So you, you got to be smart. You got to be likable. You've got to, you know, kick ass for lack of a better way of putting it. And I think that Leslie Grace, you know, in a short sample size, is quite frankly, I think she could pull it off. I think that Warner Brothers sees something in Leslie Grace. They loved what she did in In the Heights. And maybe they are rolling the dice a little bit. But the, the other caveat to this is, remember, this is going to be an HBO Max film. This is not going to go to theaters unless it happens to do incredibly well, and then maybe they'll put out a limited theatrical release. But for right now, this is an HBO Max movie, and nothing wrong with that either, by the way. I think that we're going to start to see a lot more of this stuff as we head into, you know, more and more of the streaming wars, which we're, we're head first into right now. So very excited to see what Leslie Grace can bring to the role of Batgirl. You want to talk about a ton of great trailers, and when Condom Con Week is here, you usually get a lot of great trailers. We actually got some before the at-home con even started, starting with the teaser trailer for The Witcher, Nightmare of the Wolf, which is the anime movie that's going to be coming to Netflix on August the 23rd. And if you see the teaser that was actually put out, and it and it kind of tells you heavily that this is going to be The Witcher, Vesemir, who is played by Theo James, that's going to be the main focus of this movie. And a contract that basically, you know, this is way before Geralt, or anything like that, and he's a young witcher. You could tell he's a little bit cocky. He, he likes his coin, and he really wants to just, you know, kill some monsters for cash. That's basically what we've got here. And if you see the teaser, that's very, very Castlevania-esque to me. And that's not a knock. That's not saying that they're copying Castlevania. They're obviously not. This is a different story. It also looks beautiful, by the way. And, and it, this is going to be its own thing. But at the same time, to me, it's like if you loved Castlevania and you already loved The Witcher anyway, this is going to be something that you're salivating over, right? I know I am, so I can't wait for August the 23rd to get here to watch The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf on Netflix. Switching gears a little bit for another huge trailer that came out, again, from Warner Brothers and Legendary, and that is for Dune. The The new trailer just came out. It is going to be coming out on HBO Max and in theaters on October the 22nd, too, by the way. And again, this is the Zendaya and Timothy Chalmut show in this particular trailer. And you get to we get to, you know, peel the onion a little bit more on Paul Astraides and the House of Astraides, by the way. And it's the big, you know, hey, we're here to to free Arrakis and then all hell breaks loose sort of thing. So you get to see the very sci fi nature of this thing. You get to see, you know, Dave Batista as the big bad 
in this thing. You get to see Josh Brolin and Oscar Isaac standing side by side, fighting for the House of Strates. It's it looks like a massive sci-fi epic. And I'm going into this cold, this cold, by the way. I know there's some diehard Dune fans, but there's also going to be fans like myself that I I've never read the book. So I I am going into this thing a little bit cold, and I think that just based on face value of what I've seen so far, Dennis Villeneuve has a really big chance at a sci-fi epic on his hands. I think that that's where we're at with this second Dune trailer. I was much more impressed by the second trailer than I was by the first one. So I was already looking forward to this anyway. I'm very happy because now I have three kids at home that this is going to be on HBO Max and make it a little bit easier for me to see it. But this does feel like one of those movies that if you can see it in theaters and if you feel comfortable going to a theater to see this thing, I think that this this would just pop on the big screen. Here's something that I never thought I would say. That is Matt Damon and Ben Affleck starring in a movie in 14th century France. That's where it's set. Oh, Adam Driver, too, by the way. I'm talking about the last duel trailer that's out. And this is basically a fight for a woman's honor, for lack of a better way of putting it. And Jodie Jodie Comer's the the woman in question here, you might remember from her from Killing Eve. And Ridley Scott, who's going to be the director of this thing, said, you know, she looks like she's perfect for this role. And she plays Marguerite de Carouge, and that is the wife of Matt Damon's character, Jean de Carouge, who is, you know, it's called his honor's called into question because his wife says that Adam Driver's character of Jacques Legree came in, attacked her, and it do I mean it certainly looks that way in the trailer, right? And the basis of this is is she lying or is she not? But does it even matter because the power of men trumps all of that? And if they want to fight each other and be idiots, then they can do that, basically. So it's it's the fight for a woman's honor or how much is she willing to fight for herself and for her truth? Basically, that's that's kind of what's lying in the underbelly of this thing. And this is, by the way, based on a true story, by the way. So I think that this is one that's really going to get you thinking and it's really going to cause some discussion. You know, if you want to see this with a group of friends or something like that, you go back to the Hundred Years War where this is set and you get to kind of dig into this thing a little bit. And remember, again, when you go into this, that we're talking about the 14th century of France. So that that absolutely matters when you're talking about when the story is set and everything. And once again, we'll also see this one in October, too. This is going to be October the 15th. So a little bit of a week before Dune. So a big, big month for movies is going to be in October for sure. Really quickly, I also want to talk about the trailer for Heels, the wrestling drama that's going to be coming to stars on August 15th. And yes, Stephen Amell going to be starring in this one with Alexander Ludwig. They play brothers and their dad ran this classic wrestling promotion in a small town in Georgia. And now they're kind of the ones that are going to be carrying the flag for this thing. And you see that there's just as much drama in the ring as there is outside the ring with the two brothers and in the whole town, as a matter of fact, and their, and their families as well. And by the way, this is going to be, this was created by executive producer of the Loki series, Michael Waldron and Michael Malley is the showrunner. And there's just all kinds of, if you're a wrestling fan, like I am a grown up loving wrestling my entire life, not so much right now, cause it's not as good right now. But anyway, this is the wrestling drama that I've been waiting for as a series. I mean, we, you know, we had The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke not too long ago. That was a great movie. I've been waiting for a series to really dive into a story like this and of, of a small-time wrestling promotion because wrestling was built on small-time promotions, if you're not a fan. And I think that, you know, this drama is, is certainly true to life in a certain sense. 
right? So I think that this is, if you're a wrestling fan and have been your entire life and you're just looking for something to scratch that itch and you're just not happy with the product that's out there right now, I think heels is it for you. And not to mention, I think it, it just looks like, if even if you're not a wrestling fan, this looks like a really good drama with some nice action in it as well. And you'll find out when heels premieres on stars on August the 15th at nine o'clock. So, I mean, if you're not already, if you don't already have the stars app, you might want to get on that. One more thing, and that is Amazon's relationship with Neil Gaiman apparently expanding because Neil Gaiman's Nancy Boys is going to be coming to Prime Video again as a limited series. You might remember Good Omens just got a part two. Now we've got a part one of Nancy Boys. And if you're not familiar with this, this is the adaptation of a novel from Neil Gaiman. And it tells the story of Charlie Nancy, who, you know, he's used to being embarrassed by his dad. His dad dies, but then he discovers that his dad was actually... Anansi, the trickster god of stories, and he learns that he has a brother as well, and his brother, Spider, is now entering Charlie's life, and again, there will be some hijinks there for sure. Now, this is just announced, not going to be start, not going to start filming until the end of this year, but, you know, we're, we're inching closer to being able to find out a little bit more, although this, has been, this idea has been kicking around since like the mid-90s from Neil Gaiman, so he's been wanting to do this thing for a long, long time. And no, this is not connected to American Gods. This isn't a spinoff. This isn't a sequel. This is going to be its own standalone thing. I know it kind of seems like it would be in that wheelhouse, but it's not. So and when we find out when the release date for this thing is going to be, I'll pass along for you. But this looks like it could be one of those things just, you know, in the same kind of realm. as It's almost like a mix of American Gods in good omens. I think it's going to be really fun. I can't wait for Nancy Boys to hit Amazon Prime Video. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, I want to thank director Wyatt Rockefeller to join, for joining me this week to talk about Settlers, which you can see in theaters right now and on demand wherever you like to get your on-demand movies. It is a very, very interesting, again, thought-provoking sci-fi drama. And it's there's way more to it than you think. And there's a lot of tension there as well. So buckle up when you're watching this one. Make sure you follow along with us as well at downandnerdypodcast.com, also on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram at downandnerdy on Facebook. Going to have another great show for you this week. I'm going to go enjoy some time with my wife, my sons, and our brand new baby girl. Thank you so much for supporting the show as you always do. I really, really appreciate that. It just it's Your support makes it so I can do what I love and enjoy time with my family at the same time. So I, I just cannot thank you guys enough for that. And remember one thing, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Nowadays, trends and news cycles change faster than we can blink. But there are some things that withstand the test of time. And if you're looking for a connection to something timeless and maybe also a glimpse of life at a slower pace, I believe everyone can relate to the very human experiences explored in Jane Austen's novels. And that's where I come in. My name is Alison Larkin. I'm a writer, comedian, and narrator and host of The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin. I spent a lot of my childhood in the part of England where Jane Austen lived and wrote... And now that I live in the States, nothing gives me a sense of homecoming quite like narrating her books. On this show, you'll listen to award-winning narration, 
I'll give myself a pat on the back for that, as well as conversations with actors, writers and other fascinating people who all share a passionate love for Jane Austen. So please, join me as we embark on a wonderful journey through Jane Austen's work. Be sure to listen and subscribe to The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin wherever you get your podcasts.